You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope that this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. Here's what I'm going to share on today. Um, it's a really, it's a huge topic. I don't know that I'll, I'll get through all of it today, but I felt very, very impressed uh, of the Lord to share this, and I believe it's a timely message. And I, I'll, I, I thought about five different ways to describe what I'm going to talk about, but I'm just going to say it like this. It's really overcoming a performance mentality. And it is something that people have to overcome because even when you get saved, you give your heart to the Lord, there still is residue from the old man. There's still residue from the old way of doing things. And human beings, this is the challenge of humanity, is to overcome the, the idea that we need to perform, that we need to do to be. And again, looking at the garden, you just go and look at that, you realize that they didn't have to do anything to be in relationship with the Lord. They just were. And when sin came in, when the enemy came in, and he lied to them, they believed the lie, they partook of the fruit, it thrusted the entire world, all of humanity, And everybody that would be born after them, which is all of us, it threw everybody into this problem, this challenge, that is that we're going to have to go before the Lord, and we're going to have to go before him and not be conscious of our past, and not not be so aware of our problems that we hide ourselves from him. Because remember that whenever they sinned, the very first thing that they did is they went and hid themselves. And then they covered themselves, which is basically shame and self-effort. And when the Lord came to them, he said, the first thing he said is, who told you that you were naked? So what they did was they automatically entered into a performance mentality. From moment one, instantaneously when they sinned, they immediately entered into, I have to do something if I'm going to be accepted. I've heard people say over the years that sin separates you from the Lord. And if we're going to take the example in the garden, and I can give many other examples, it's really not true. Sin isn't what separates us from the Lord. It's the effect of sin that separates us from the Lord. And it's more than the effect of the the sinful actions, but it's the sinful nature that separates people from the Lord that we have when we're born into this world. And the problem is where a lot of people are is they're born into this world. They have a sinful nature. Every one of us were. We were, we were born. We've heard it said born children of the devil, right? And basically what that means is that we were born not alive unto God. That's why we had to get born again. But what happens is that people get born again and they get changed on the inside. Their spirit man changes. But their mind, if their mind isn't renewed, if their conscience doesn't become clean, they still carry this mentality of I have to do if I'm going to be right with God. I have to jump through some hoops if I'm gonna get my blessing. I gotta do some things if I'm really gonna be in right standing with God. Now, there's a lot of people that have moved past that in terms of their language, but they haven't moved past that in terms of how they feel. 
a lot of people still, their whole life is, it's really riddled, you know, with guilt, with shame, those kind of things. And here's the deal is that the Lord, for anybody that doesn't know what our vision, it's not just a statement, but it is the vision of this church. And I was in a meeting years ago, and the Lord spoke it to me just like that. He said, I want you to build strong people, and I want you to build strong churches. So in other words, it's bigger than just this house, but it's small enough that I want each individual to become strong in, in me, strong in me, because strength, human strength can only go so far. How many of y'all know that? That you can, you can have so much physical strength, emotional strength, it will only carry you so far. We need the strength of God to carry us. We need the strength of God to be the thing that girds us up and causes us to walk in victory in this life. And we need the strength of God to help us overcome a performance mentality. And you might think, well, I don't really think I have a performance mentality. If you don't, then you have completely overcome. And I don't know that we really overcome that until we get to heaven. Because I think it's a constant battle because we are so aware of, of our humanity. It is not, you can, you can greatly progress to where it's not dragging you down. Amen. I believe I've been able to do that, but I still find myself thinking in terms of if I do this, then this is going to be given to me. And if I will think this way or believe this way, then God's going to bless me. You know, for a lot of years, the church has been, uh, we've been hoodwinked by the idea that Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law, which is true. We've not been hoodwinked by that. That's true. How many of you believe that Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law? The Bible tells us that. But we've been hoodwinked to thinking, and this is found in Deuteronomy, where's, Deuteronomy, where's the curse of the law written? Deuteronomy 14, 8, somewhere in Deuteronomy, it's in there. Uh, the first uh, 14 verses, what chapter is it? 28, that's right. Uh, Deuteronomy 28 is written, the blessings and the curse of the law. The first 14 verses-ish are the blessing, and verse like 15 through the end of the chapter, I'm going to say 60 verses, is the curse. And the last part of it is if you do these things, then this bad stuff is going to happen to you. The first 14 verses are if you do these things, then good things will happen to you. You know what the church has lived under for all of these years? And this is going to shock some of you. If they've, they've lived under a mentality that the first part is, is the blessing and the last part is the curse. I got news for you. All of it's the curse. Because the last part says if you do, the, if you do bad stuff, then, then the wrath of God's gonna come on you. And thank God that Jesus took all the wrath of God on him so we don't have to endure wrath. Because how many of y'all know we've done some bad stuff? Amen? But you're still here. You didn't get wiped out. So you didn't have to endure the wrath of God. Jesus endured it for you. But you know, the first part says, if you do this, I'll bless you this way. If you do this, I'll bless you this way. If you do this, I'll bless you this way. What is that? Performance. Works mentality. And you know what the church has lived under for so long is, if I do this, God will bless me. If I do this, God will give me a great inheritance. If I do this, everything will be good with my family. And there's a, there's a fine line here, because if you live like the devil, you're going to get the devil's results. But if you, live, if you live good, you position yourself right, but it doesn't cause God to bless you any more than he already has. You and I can't be blessed any more than we already are through Christ. It is impossible. He cannot give you any more than what he's already given you. You have the full measure of what Christ has to offer. You can't get any more. And I don't know another way to say it beyond that. 
So then why would we think, if I do this, then God will bless me? If I live holy, then God will bless me. Should we live holy? Well, yeah, there's a lot of reasons to live holy. But getting God to love you and bless you is not one of them. He's already done it through Christ. See, we have to come out from this mindset of performance of I have to do if I'm going to be right with God or I'm going to get something from the Lord. And so the way I believe a, a, a way that we come into that, because that's, that's a, a position of strength. When you can rise up and you don't feel like you have to do anything to make anybody happy with you. And I'll tell you, this is a journey. I went from not knowing that God was happy with me to realizing that God was happy with me. And then, uh, because there are so many people that aren't happy with me, and there's people that are not happy with you. That's the way that life goes. So then my journey got me to a point where I was like, it started, it was like, well, I don't give a rip what they think. And on the inside, I mean, when you say it like that, you do give a rip what they think. Then I got to a point where I was like, man, I just don't really care what people think. That's when you really don't care. But where I really had to do a lot of work was caring what I thought. How I viewed me, because I didn't view me how God viewed me. I viewed me how I viewed me. I viewed me just through the eyes of flesh. I viewed me through my mistakes. I viewed me through my humanity. I viewed me through the things that I didn't like about me. And in doing so, I remained in a performance mentality. And this has been a, this has been a work, and I think a lot, how many of y'all can relate to what I'm saying right now? You're like, yeah, I've been having to work on this for a while. Well, you have to keep working on it. Because as much as you feel like you have to perform is the level that you're not in faith. And the level that you're not in faith is to the measure that you won't receive what God has for you. Because if you're performing to get, you're removing your trust from him and you're putting your trust on yourself. If you're performing to get, you're removing your trust from him and you're placing it on yourself. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I, would rather, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, this word infirmities here in context is not talking about sickness. It's talking about persecutions, just, just the reality of the human nature, those kind of things is what I believe it's really speaking of. And he says, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What's he talking about there? He's saying that there's a place of humility to come so that the grace of God can be received. Because if we're not operating in humility, then grace can't be present. God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. So we need humility, but we should not be in humiliation. Being humble is a, is, a, is a posture before the Lord to where we say, God, I don't have enough, but you have enough, so I'm going to position myself here to receive from you. But getting over into a place of shame is where you take your lack, you take your issues, you take your problems, you take all of the nasty inner workings of the thoughts, and you begin to define your life by those things. And you begin to think that God is relating to you by those things. And if, we're, if we live in that place, that's what, you call, that's what you call ammunition for the devil. As long as we're in this realm of thinking I'm not good enough, you know, we need to be like Stuart Smalley. Remember Stuart Smalley? I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Come on, anybody like over 50 probably knows what I'm about. The rest of you are like, what are you talking about? Anyways, I'm good enough, 
In Christ, I'm good enough. In Christ, I'm smart enough. And in Christ, doggone it, Jesus loves me. And by faith, I'm learning to love me too. And if you can come to that place, you'll go somewhere in this life. If you can come to that place, you have learned to overcome. And I'm going to give you some things to help you get to that place. But you have learned to overcome the challenge, the problem that is in humanity. The single biggest problem. And you might say, man, you don't know, you don't know my problems. You don't know my past. You don't know my issues. I don't have to know all of your past and your, your issues your issues in the past and your issues in the present. I don't have to know all of them to know what your biggest challenge is. Your biggest challenge is being able to cleanly and clearly in your mind stop performing and just come before the Lord. You know how I know that? Because that is the problem that every single person that has ever been born has to overcome if they are going to be an overcomer. If you're going to be one that rises above the whateverness of life, the stuff of life, you have to come to a place to where you can confidently come to the Lord. Why? Because that's where your help comes from. You don't have the power to overcome whatever it is that you're dealing with. Newsflash, you in and of yourself are powerless to overcome the thing that's been overcoming you. But you know that the grace of God has all of the strength and the ability to overcome whatever has been overcoming you. So how do you get that? You stop looking at what you're able to do and you say, in and of myself, I don't have anything. I don't have any strength or power. But in Christ, in him, I have everything that I will ever need to overcome any situation. But the only way you can ever get, even get to that place to where God can, can minister to you and speak to you and give you the strength you need is you have to stop looking at your stuff and start looking at how much grace and how powerful and loving he really is. So a performance mentality is, here's what a performance mentality is. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, you should take notes. Here's a performance mentality. It's a desire for favor and acceptance with a limited core belief that says, because I don't deserve it, I cannot have it unless I earn it. Let me say that again. A performance mentality is, a desire for favor and acceptance, and that's a good thing, but it's with a limiting core belief. See, everybody has core beliefs. Everybody has things that they believe. Every, every thing that we do in life is driven by something that we believe. We may, we may not be conscious of that all the time, but it is true, all right? So a desire for favor and acceptance with a limiting core belief that says, because I don't deserve it, I cannot have it unless I earn it. Sometimes people don't think that they can be healed unless they do something to earn God's healing. Sometimes people don't feel like they can be saved unless they can do something to earn God's salvation. Sometimes people don't feel like they can earn the blessing of God financially or good relationships or a strong family or a sound mind or joy or peace. And you can put anything in there unless they do something to earn it. And see, this is not only in like, I don't know if intrinsically, but this is like, like naturally inside of people when they get born, but it's also reinforced as we go through life. Because <laughs> as soon as you get to about 12 or 18 months or, yeah, around there, and you disobey, you get a spanking. And rightfully so. Sometimes kids need spankings, right? And I'm not, we're for that. We believe in that. It's biblical, right? The Bible believes in that. Nowadays, it's like a cuss word. 
Anyways, it's biblical. Then the Bible's cussing, I guess. But, you know, you come to this point to where, you know, there's, there's things that when you do this, then this thing happens to you. Or if you don't do this, you won't get this. Probably most everybody in here uh, works a job or you're retired and you did work a job. And you know what that is? That's the system of works. Now, I'm not against that. Don't anyone walk out here and go, oh, pastor said I don't have to work anymore. Yeah. But what it is, is that if you don't work, you don't get a paycheck. If you don't do a good job, you might get fired or you might get reprimanded or something. And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. But my, here's my point, is that the problem we already have at the core of us as human beings gets reinforced throughout life. And then we come into a relationship with the Lord, and it is a total paradigm shift that has to happen. It must happen in our thinking to where we, we go from feeling like we have to perform to get or to be to where we move into this relationship with the Lord to where we realize all of the acceptance, all of the blessing, all of the favor, all of the increase, the healing, it doesn't matter what it is that God has. It comes to us completely by grace outside of any performance. This is a mentality that, that has to be confronted and then it has to be dealt with. And you have to deal with it in and of yourself. Because if you find yourself praying and doing things and it's like this workup of God, look what I did. Now I need something from you. You have a performance mentality. You're thinking that God owes you something because of, because of what you did. God doesn't owe you anything. But you know, the thing is, is that you don't owe God anything. Thank you. Thank you. I need to spend some more time around your kitchen table talking to you about a performance mentality. I'd get more amens. You don't owe God anything. You don't owe him anything. Do you know what it means to have a debt that's paid in full? Has anybody ever had a debt that got paid in full? It was like, you know, maybe you took out a loan or you, you had a, a bill come in the mail or whatever, and then you sent the money in, and then that thing was paid in full. Maybe you even got a receipt. You pay a car off, and they'll, they'll send you something that says your, your vehicle no longer has a lien against it anymore. The, 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 the amount that was owed has been paid in full. You know what that means? You don't owe anything anymore. And when Jesus went to the cross, he did everything that he did. The debt, because we did owe a debt. Anybody that thinks they didn't owe God, you're deceiving yourself. We did owe a debt, but the debt was so insurmountable. There was no way that any human could ever pay that debt except for Jesus, because he was not only man, but he was also God. But when Jesus paid the price that he did, he paid the debt in full. We no longer owe God anything. You can see that that's how you omit, that's how you get rid of, that's how you destroy a performance mentality. To where you go into the Lord, you stop off the Lord, you know what I did. God, you know that I didn't do the thing that I needed to do. And you get all this like religious stuff that comes on you, depending on the, how you were, however you were raised, whatever. You know, and, and you come before the Lord, and it's almost like, okay, well, he, I know that he knows that I did this, but I'm going to go ahead and say that I, that I did it in, in his presence so that it'll look like a greater level of humility. And if I look more humble and I just put myself more out there, then maybe really then he's going to bless me. 
And I'm not saying repentance is wrong. Repentance is a good thing. It's a core foundation for the church. I believe that it's right. But going into the Lord and saying all of the stuff that you did wrong so that God will give you is just manipulation. And it's a lack of understanding of what you already have in Christ. You literally do not owe God anything. You know what we owe? The rest of the world, the love that we've received from him freely. That's, that's the only debt that we owe. We owe mankind to tell them what Christ has really done, to tell them what he did for us. But we can't talk about something that we don't have a revelation of. We can't tell people about the freedom if we're not free ourselves. And if we're still coming to the Lord going, Lord, I paid my... You know, a lot of times people, I've, I've had this happen more times than I could tell you. Someone will come and they say, Pastor, I really need some help with XYZ area. And I'll say, okay, well, let's, let's take it to the Lord. Let's pray over that thing. And they'll go, now, I've been, paying, I've been paying my tithes. Now, I haven't been to church in a while, but I've been paying my tithes. I'm like, great, thank you. Blesses the Lord and the church uses the money and, and praise God, thank you. You know, I, I, I try to read my Bible every day. Like, literally, I have been experiencing these kind of conversations for all of my years in ministry. You know what it is? It's a performance mentality. I'm desperate for an answer, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring all of my record of good deeds and I'm gonna present it. And so hopefully between you and God, you can come up with some kind of solution for me because I am really deserving of it. Guess what? If you were the best person that ever lived on the face of the earth, you still aren't good enough to earn anything that God has for you. You don't have enough good deeds. You aren't good enough for God. That's why he had to send Jesus. But if he sent Jesus, is he, is he enough or is he not enough? I love this equation. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You can't add anything to what God has already done through Jesus and be any more blessed, loved, favored, anything. The only difference between walking in the favor of God versus not walking in the favor of God is having faith in him. Do you trust God? Because if, if you're coming to the Lord with all of your list of like what you did wrong, what you did right, and trying to balance the spreadsheet, it's going to be very imbalanced. You're going to be really, you're going to be really discouraged if you really see what that looks like. Getting rid of that and just coming to the Lord and saying, you know, God, you and I both know that I don't deserve it. Jesus came. So Lord, I will boldly receive what you have for me. This is why it says that we can have boldness. Where is that at? Uh, Hebrews chapter four, verse something. It says that we have boldness to enter the throne of grace, to receive mercy and grace in our time of need. Why? Because we've been so good? No, I, honestly, if you need grace and you need mercy, it's probably because you're lacking something or maybe because you've not been, been very good. So how could you have boldness? It's because of the goodness of God. It's, it's because of what the Lord has done. So most people don't intentionally think this way, but they do feel this way. They come to the Lord with the feeling of, I'm not good enough. They still believe they owe God something, but they still believe they deserve nothing. And through Jesus all of that has completely been eradicated. And so the result of those who live in a performance mentality is two, two things that happens, two main things. 
is that they're driven by feelings of shame, unworthiness, and undeservedness. People that live with a performance mentality are driven by feelings of shame, unworthiness, and undeservedness. And then also their aim in relationship with the Lord largely consists of looking for his pleasure, for his pleasure over their life because of what they did. I think you're getting the picture here, but is this hitting home with anybody in here? They're like, yeah, I've kind of been thinking this way. I've kind of been working my prayer life this way. Well, stop doing that. Just come boldly before the Lord because of what Jesus has done. At this point, everything becomes about what I did wrong and what I need to do right. It becomes a fruitless pursuit to appease the conscience and the Lord. A performance mentality is a fruitless pursuit to appease the conscience and the Lord. Because if you do enough right stuff to appease your conscience, so take God out of the equation for a second because you can never do enough right stuff to appease God. Again, that's why Jesus had to come. But if you could ever do enough right stuff to appease your conscience, in other words, it's like, oh, my life's going really good. I feel really good. I feel good enough to go back into church. You know, there's a lot of people that don't come to church and they'll blame it on, they hurt me and da, 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 da. Really what's happening is on the inside, they feel so rotten about themselves that they don't feel like they can walk back through the doors of the church. But the deal is, is that if you could get your, yourself, like your conscience appeased enough to where you're like, okay, well, first of all, that's self-righteousness. But if you could get there, you know what the devil would do? Instead of the bar being here, we'll move it here. Because if you're in a works system, a base system to appease yourself, that's flesh. And the enemy will always move the bar. You know, you've given, you've given this much money, and then the next thing you know, it's like, well, you got to give this much money if you're really going to get the blessing of the Lord. You give that much money, and the devil's like, yeah, you did a great job giving that much money. Now you need to mow both of your neighbor's grass. Like, I mean, it will just, all, they'll keep adding things to it because it's always in the system of doing to be instead of just being and having what God says you can have freely as a free gift. That's what grace is. It's not anything you can earn. So how can we tell if we have a performance mentality? Here's two questions you need to ask yourself. How can, how can I tell? You could ask it this way. How can I tell if I have a performance mentality? And here's the two questions. What is your view on what God thinks about you when you do or don't do what you're supposed to do? What is your view on what God thinks about you when that time comes? You don't read your Bible like you should. You, you didn't talk as nice as you should have. You, just, whatever, you could fill in the blanks with whatever it is. What is your view? Do you say it like this? What is my view about how God thinks about me when I miss the mark? How am I viewing God right now? You need to sit and think about that. And the second question that goes with it is what is my view on me when I miss the mark? You see, a lot of people, they've come to this place to where they go, I know I'm still good with God because of the grace of Jesus. But then what they do is they, they hate themselves. They're hard on themselves. They condemn themselves. They shame themselves. You know what that says? They have an intellectual understanding of God's love and grace, but they don't have a revelation of it. And maybe they've got a, a smidgen of a revelation, but it just needs to go deeper, however you want to say that. But there has to come this, this point to where when we mess up, when we miss it, we stop being hard on ourselves. You know what I'm learning as I, the older I get? To forgive myself quickly. 
I learned years ago to forgive people quickly. Like, I, it's, honestly, it's been a lot of years since I've really harbored anything against anybody. I don't believe in doing that. It goes against my religion, amen? I don't believe in doing that. That's against, that's against the nature of Christ. You know what also is against the nature of Christ? To not forgive yourself. Man, cut yourself some slack. Give yourself a break. Don't talk about yourself that way. The next time you have a rotten thought about yourself, because it's in an unrenewed mind, you need to go back and say, what's the Spirit of God saying on the inside of me? Which is what the real you, the real true you would be saying, and it would rise up and say, shut up. Don't talk about God's kid that way ever again. Don't even think about God's kid that way. You are precious. You're valuable. Beyond means, enough that your life is equivalent to the blood of Christ. See, what something is purchased with determines the value of that thing. And you weren't purchased because of uh, your, you know, you didn't purchase whatever with your money or your good looks or, you know, anything like that. You were purchased with the blood of Christ. And you know that his blood is equal to his life? In other words, God the Father said, I'm sending Jesus because I value their life. Capture this. I value their life the same that I value his life. Wow. Like, take a step back and think about that. Write that in your journal. Write it on your mirror and say, God values me as much as he values Jesus. That'll change the way that you live. So when, when you're struggling with, with whatever, you know, all the people that are like dope addicts and people into all kinds of whatever stuff going on in their life, they would be set free instantly if they just saw who they really were, if they just saw how valuable they were to the Lord, to the Lord. They, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't take the drugs anymore. They wouldn't drink the alcohol. They wouldn't live in the depression. They would start to see God values me and views me as so valuable I'm not going to destroy something that God considers valuable. The problem is we just don't believe what God says about us. So we often think God's response to our performance is the same as our response to our performance. It's quiet in here. I think this is sinking deep. We often think God's response to our performance is the same as our response to our performance. I wouldn't see a show of hands here, but I bet we would be shocked if I, if I did, which I won't, so don't even raise your hand. If we had a show of hands of how many of you, and it, this might depend on your personality and upbringing and different things, but how many of you made it such a mistake that you found yourself cussing yourself out or saying, you st- stupid person, you idiot. How could you make such a, how could you do that? How could you, how could you, oh, Whatever. I bet you there's a good number of people that would raise their hand and say, yeah, that's me. And I would raise my hand and say, yeah, that was me in the past. I used to do that stuff. I used to talk about myself that way. And that's because when I would make a mistake, I would see me in that mistake and get really hard on myself. And I automatically thought that's how God sees me. Shame is the devil's game. Condemnation is the devil's game. And when you find yourself in shame and condemnation, it's like opening up a door to the devil. Let me rephrase that. When you are in shame and condemnation, 
it is an open door to the devil. You're inviting him to come in and tell you how rotten you are, to tell you that you don't measure up. And is this not the age-old lie that he's been giving to humanity all of these years? He told Adam and Eve, he said, you, you don't really have, you're not really like God. The day that you eat of the tree, then you're going to be like God. He got them to question their identity. And then what did they do? They went into sin and it destroyed their whole world. Instead of having this wonderful, sweet, I mean, they were naked. They were unashamed. Instead of having that free and open and transparent relationship with the Lord, they immediately hid themselves and entered into performance. It destroyed everything. When we get born again, our identity is completely changed from the inside out, not from the outside in. Religion says you have to change from the outside in. God says that Christ changes us from the inside out. And as long as we are focused on the outward, we're neglecting the truth of the inward. So we have to come and go, okay, I know that I've still got issues. I've still got stuff going on, but it does not, and it is not an accurate representation and reflection of who I truly am. I'm going to believe what God says about me. And when you do that, you have now turned the tables on the devil. And instead of him coming and eating your lunch, you have now come to eat his lunch. Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. So we feel as though, with this kind of mentality, we, we feel as though and this is really the answer as to what, what is the root as to why people develop a performance mentality. And it's we feel as though we deserve to withhold from love from ourselves. That's the root of it. We feel that we deserve, we don't deserve God's love and what we deserve is to withhold love from ourselves. You know, there's a, there's a wrong kind of love that's happening in the world. It's a self-love. It was prophesied, the apostle Paul and Jesus and different ones about that there would be selfishness, would be rampant on the earth. How many of y'all know that we're living in a very, very selfish day and age? And that is absolutely the truth. So we have to draw a, fine, a, a, a right line here and divide this out and realize that there's a love of self that's not right, but there's a love of self that's God's kind of love for you that's healthy. And that's the kind of love that I'm talking about here. And so when you think of the Garden of Eden, that's exactly what they did. They felt because of what they did and their eyes were open, and the enemy was messing with them, they felt that they didn't deserve to be in God's love and to have his presence anymore, and they pulled themselves away. If you find yourself pulling yourself away from time with the Lord, going to church, being around godly people, then it's a good sign that you have a, it's not a good sign, but it's a sign that you have a performance mentality. If you find yourself pulling away, because we were created to go into the presence of God. We were created to have fellowship and relationship, and that's what Jesus came to restore. Jesus didn't just come to save the world from hell. That is true. But Jesus did come to save the world from thinking that they couldn't enter into relationship with, with the Father. He came to restore that back. That's why the veil was torn in the temple. Whenever Jesus died, the veil was torn. What was the veil in the temple? It separated the presence of God from the next layer in the temple and ultimately the outer courts. And what the Lord was saying is that I'm no longer going to be separated from my people. 
A, they can be born again and I'm gonna come and live on the inside of them because unholiness and holiness cannot coincide together. They don't, they don't match. So the Lord says, I'm gonna make myself and set myself apart a people that I call holy and when they receive me, I'll transform them and then I will live in them. But now the work starts to where we work out the salvation we have with fear and trembling. You don't work to get it, but once you got it, it's so easy. You believe and you confess. And once you get it, then you begin to change your mind so you think like somebody who has what God says they have. Instead of listening to the devil come in and say, you're this, you're that, you're this, you're that. It might be true in the sense that you're dealing with things, but it's not true in the sense of who you really are in Christ. Hallelujah. Man, I've done preached myself happy. So the displeasure we, sh- we show ourselves is a result of a belief, a belief system that says, I deserve to feel bad. I deserve to feel bad. You know, without, without Christ, you do deserve to feel bad. But with Christ, if you think you deserve to feel bad, you're wrong. You're wrong, and you're coming against what God says is good. Hallelujah. I'm out of time. It says, let me say this, and I wrote this, and this is getting into, I'm going to have to finish up next week, which I thought I would probably have to do. Our separation from God has nothing to do with our sin. It has everything to do with our view of us after the sin. This is called sin consciousness. Let me read that again. Our separation from God has nothing to do with our sin. Man, this is so, this is so difficult for how we've been trained to think differently. And I'm going to show you. I, I got into almost no scripture verses today, but I'm telling you next week, I'm going to get into this from the word. I'm going to, I'm going to lay it out. You're going to see it. It'll be so abundantly clear. But this is really difficult for people that have been raised um, in church to see this differently. And I was even in a, in a, in a circle where I heard a, a man, I have a lot of respect for this man, and I was, I was listening with somebody else, and they have a lot of respect for me. And the, the person that was ministering, again, I have tremendous respect, he said, your sin is separating you from God. And this young lady leaned over to me and she said, I don't think that's right. What do you think about that? I said, that's totally wrong. I said, your sin doesn't separate you from God. It's how you think because of your action, because of that sin, and we'll call it what it is. It is sin. If it's sin, we'll call it sin. It's how you see yourself and how you, how you view and how you feel about that sin that's separating you from God. We just got to go back and see what the Word says. Adam and Eve separated themselves from God. God did not separate himself from them. That is not in the Bible. You will not see that in the Bible. And for anybody that would think, well, God, God brought down you know, judgment and he was harsh and those kind of things towards them because he kicked them out of the garden. Do you know why he kicked them out of the garden? It says, so they wouldn't eat of the tree of life and live forever. So you see, there's the punishment. I don't know about you all, but I don't want to live forever on the earth. At one point, when we don't really fully know what it was like, but it was probably amazing, and we would have wanted to live here forever. I thank God that my body is going to come to a resting place someday, and we're going to get a new glorified body where I'm going to have a 24-pack ab. I mean, it's going to be amazing. Out with the keg, in with the 24-pack, right? 
So it's the battle of the bulge. Everyone's involved in it. So we're going to have a new glorified body, but I'm glad that one day this body is going to come to rest. I thank God that we don't eat of the tree of life and live forever in the sense of a physical form. But now Jesus has come and we can eat of that tree of life and live eternally forever. But eternity starts now. Because you know what eternal life is? John 17 says this. He said, and this is eternal life. To know God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He didn't say eternal life was living forever. Everybody's going to live forever. Depending on what they believe will make the difference on where they go. But everybody's going to live forever. Eternal life, though, is partaking of the tree of Jesus. And right then, relationship is restored. It's knowing God. It's having intimacy and fellowship with God. How so? Because we're so great? No. We're not any different than the rest of the world. All we have is not all we have, but what we have is we have access to this abundant revelation that says it's not about you, it's about what Jesus did, and you have every right to have boldness, not only to enter in now into the throne of grace to receive grace and mercy, but it goes so far as to say in 1 John 4 and 17 that you can have boldness in the day of judgment. Have you ever been at a point in your life where you're like, Jesus, if I die, I don't know where I'm going. I mean, I was there at one point just because of my own thinking. And if you're, you're like, no, I've never been there. Well, praise God. <laughs> it's a terrible place to be. You wonder if you're going to go to heaven or not. If you've given your life to Christ, you should never wonder if you're going to go to heaven from that day forward. You say, well, what if I mess up? That's what the blood of Jesus was able to do. It was able to, to, to pay for your past, your present, and by golly, even your future tense sins. And if that ain't true, we're all in trouble because he's not going to pay the price again. He was a one sacrifice for all time for all people, never to go back on the cross again, never to shed his blood again because his blood that was shed was eternal. It was enough for all eternity. The blood of Christ will be as effective in one billion years into eternity. There's, let's go for a trillion. You can't even wrap your mind around that. I can't either. One trillion years into eternity, the blood of Christ will be just as effective then as it was when it was presented in heaven at the mercy seat before the Father. It will be just as effective and just as potent then. And you know, a billion years, same thing. A million years, the same thing. A thousand years, a hundred years, ten years into eternity, your first year into eternity. And you know, right before you die, and even all the way up to the point of today, and all the way to the point of your salvation, the blood of Christ was applied and it never lost its effectiveness. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit Overcomers Church International dot com.